The Hamlet Podcast, episode 151. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Conor Hanrity. The second gravedigger has been sent away to get a stoop of liquor and is, alas, never to return. Meanwhile, we've been told that Hamlet and Horatio have appeared in the background and they continue to watch while gravedigger, or clown number one, continues to dig while he works. He's been singing a poorly remembered version of the old song, The Aged Lover Renounceth Love. It's possible that Hamlet and Horatio have come to the graveyard because they need somewhere quiet to talk. Remember that in his letter in Act 4, Scene 6, Hamlet promised that he had words to speak in Horatio's ear that would make him dumb. Sadly, this graveyard isn't quiet at all, and Hamlet now speaks, wondering at this clown's ability to sing while doing what others might consider rather frightening work. Has this fellow no feeling of his business that he sings at grave-making? Does this man have no sense of what he's doing, what his business is? Is he really so disconnected that he can sing so happily while he's digging up a grave? As will become clear, our gravedigger is going over ground that has already been used to bury other people, and as a result, there's the risk that he might make physical contact with the previously deceased. Horatio has a possible explanation. He says, custom hath made it in him a property of easiness. He does it so often that he's quite comfortable with it. It has a property of easiness. They say that we humans can get used to just about anything, this would seem to be proof. Hamlet agrees. Tis e'en so. The hand of little employment hath the daintier sense. This is an interesting comment from our Danish prince. He's saying that only the hand of someone who doesn't work, or doesn't have to work, the hand of little employment, can afford to have opinions. This daintier sense is reserved, perhaps, for the rich or the royal, Ordinary people have to work and get the job done to put food on the table. Here Shakespeare is walking a little bit of a tightrope, letting Hamlet talk about and observe the common people. Now, of course, he has been speaking candidly and intimately with the groundlings around him throughout the play, but now he seems to be gearing up to speak to someone from outside the court in the real world of Hamlet. We've already seen that he's able to talk with anyone. The Norwegian captain, the pirates, the actors and so on have all had that little touch of Hamlet in the night. It's not as though he doesn't have the common touch, rather that he's genuinely interested in the clown's cheerfulness. The clown, the gravedigger himself, continues to sing. But age, with his stealing steps, hath clawed me in his clutch, and hath shipped me into the land as if I had never been such. Here the gravedigger combines two different parts of the old song. I wonder if it's supposed to echo Hamlet himself having been shipped off to England, shipped me into the land, and indeed the gravedigger's physical position halfway into the earth. I suppose all of this would depend on how familiar the Globe audience really would have been with the old song. Regardless of how much Thomas Vaux's song might mean to us these days, as the gravedigger finishes his mangled verses, we get one of the most iconic stage directions in all of literature. From whatever depth in the ground he's reached, he throws up a skull. The skull has been the main emblem of this podcast. 
It is the most famous prop in Hamlet, even if it doesn't drive the action forward. It remains an essential image for the play. Hamlet is immediately moved when he sees it. That skull had a tongue in it and could sing once. How the knave jowls it to the ground as if it were Cain's jawbone that did the first murder. It might be the pate of a politician, which this ass now o'erreaches, one that would circumvent God, might it not? Hamlet compares the skull to the clown, pointing out that the skull had a tongue in it once and could sing, just as this gravedigger is now doing. But he calls the digger a knave because he jowls it to the ground, another word for throwing or hurling. Evidently, there is little care being shown for the long-dead prior occupant of this patch of land. Hamlet says he's doing so as if it were Cain's jawbone that did the first murder. Here we have a bunch of images colliding. For the third time, the play makes reference to Cain, the world's first murderer. Important in this play because he killed his own brother, Abel. The jawbone is important because the story went that Cain committed this crime with the jawbone of an ass or a donkey. Now Hamlet conflates the picture, playing with the idea of jowls and a jawbone as the gravedigger carelessly tosses this decomposed head out of its grave. He imagines that it could be the head of a politician who, with that tongue in his head, might have been able to chat his way around God. But now this ass, the gravedigger, or reaches or or offices him, depending on which version of the text you're reading. The gravedigger is alive, after all. Jowls, jawbones, asses and cane, all lightly mixed together with the terrific speed of Hamlet's mind. Horatio knows better than to compete, so he just agrees. It might, my lord. It's as if he knows full well that Hamlet hasn't finished teasing out these ideas. And he's right. Hamlet continues, imagining whose head this might have been. Or of a courtier, which could say, Good morrow, sweet lord. How dost thou, good lord? This might be my lord such a one, that praised my lord such a one's horse, when he meant to beg it, might it not? Now Hamlet is wondering which courtier it might have been, one of any number of deceased characters from Elsinore, who might have at any point have said hello to him, or that he might have overheard ingratiating himself for favourable treatment. I don't particularly know why Hamlet is so interested in this dead courtier trying to beg or borrow another man's horse, but there are echoes of Richard III and indeed of Timon of Athens that I'll put in the show notes for this episode. Again Horatio smiles and nods with another, I, my lord. Hamlet's going to have a great deal more to say about this skull, and plenty more besides as the scene goes on, so we leave it here for now and resume in the next episode. As ever, there are show notes and a variety of other treats and bonus features all available on the website. In recent weeks, I've also had a number of lovely messages from listeners who've encouraged me to set up a sponsorship page of some sort. Given that this year hasn't been the easiest, I've taken the plunge and added a coffee link, which you can also find on the front page of the website. It's a lovely service that allows followers of the podcast to contribute to the price of a cup of coffee. The Hamlet podcast will always be completely free, but if you're feeling so inclined or would like to support, you'll find a little buy me a coffee button on the main page of the hamletpodcast.com. I'm enormously grateful to each and every person who tunes into the show 
and I couldn't do it without you. Thank you, as always, for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.